The following program is sponsored by Lindis Construction. This is the WCCO Home Improvement Show, brought to you by Lindis Construction. One call, one contractor. Lindis Construction provides Minnesota and Wisconsin with the best products and workmanship. They provide leaf guard gutters, asphalt roofing, metal roofing, seasoned guard replacement windows, exterior siding, remodeling, new construction, and more. If you've got questions, they've got answers this hour. Here's Denny Long and Andy Lindis. And Andy Lindis is not with us here, and Denny Long is texting one of his children. So <laughs> with you this morning is Barry Strands. You're giving it all away here. I'm having guy. too much fun, sir. It yeah, was so much are. fun to open up the show for the very so first I said, time. I said, Barry, take it. He take pointed it at me. I, I almost froze. I'm going out for coffee. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm great. Great. All right, it is time once again for our home improvement show, and it's always fun to have uh, Barry Strands with us. To, uh, to pick uh, up on your phone calls and your text messages. So whatever you want to talk about as far as home improvement, uh, it could be AC. Maybe we should talk about You know a what? It's crazy. That. I was on a service call just last night, and one of our uh, homeowners has purchased a home on Lake of the Isles, and it's one of the old systems with a hydronic heating system. Now, if I said hydronic, would you know what that meant? Uh, it's, it means water. Okay, so when you've got water running through radiators, the big ah, cast iron okay. radiators or base sure. radiators, there's no air handler pushing air around the house like we would see in a typical forced air system. That's true. So normally what's done in those homes when they were first built, there was no AC. We added AC systems, and we did a high-velocity downdraft system typically placed in the attic, pushing cold air down through fairly small tubes, only about inch and three-quarter in diameter. Hmm. That would push a high velocity of cold air down from that system into the home to the second floor and then sometimes to the first floor, letting the cooler air then pool toward the final basement level. And those systems were never really designed to heat the low or cool the lowest levels of the house. And so you end up with houses sometimes that don't quite do well. Well, we did a renovation on this home and the system was not turned on during our work. So now that it's turned on, we're trying to figure out why we can't get it as cool as the homeowners would like. What's the deal on some of these... uh these homes, because at one time I owned an older home that had a gas out hot water. Sure. Like those radiators you're talking about, yeah. which I would bleed every fall or something. Yes, right. Yes, yeah. right. And, but the, I, I had to have a window air conditioner or more. Correct. Yeah. And I have windows in my house. My house was in a house built in 1905, and I had never got central air installed. Now that my ductwork is almost completely finished, I can do that now. So, it was, I, How does that work now when you can to convert? If you have gas hot water, how do you put up ductwork? Well, that's the challenge with any system. You can take an existing water system out and run ductwork in, but you've got to have physical places to run this tin material to move air through it. So you end up stealing space from closets, maybe opening up one ceiling in a room somewhere, and we try to then move air throughout the house that way. Now, often what's done is that air runs through a closet system from a furnace, typically in the basement, up into the attic space, and then it we do what's called an umbrella system and push the duct runs through the attic area and then pump that air back down into the space. Insulating above that so that we don't lose heat into the attic area in the wintertime, and we don't lose the cooling capacity in the summertime. But it's a much more expensive system to oh, do. I That's why it, these high-velocity downdraft systems are typically done in attic spaces in homes that have a hot water heated system. Mm-hmm. But yesterday we were looking at the house, and yeah. 
it was something that you people have to understand a couple of things going on right now. We are in the middle of cottonwood fuzz. Oh boy, big time. These guys are on Lake of the Isles and my stars, it's they didn't understand that the exterior unit, the condensing system, that evaporator area, was just covered with cottonwood and nobody had cleaned it off. So that's a simple process of taking the water hose and just spraying down the exterior to get that cottonwood fuzz off the unit. If we don't do that, we don't get good airflow through those spaces and we don't get the kind of cooling that we need in the house. You know, I just learned that the other day uh, uh, of, 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 of doing gently, not forceful. Gently. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can actually put the hose gently on your uh, outside the, the compressor. Yep, you can. Absolutely. Huh. They get they get rained on. They get wet all the time. Well, the water's not an issue at all. Now, I, I understand that there's something wrong with your AC. Well, yeah. <laughs> that? Oh, you didn't it's want me to bring that it, up. It doesn't, <laughs> okay. it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Uh, and, and I picked the time of, uh, you know, a million degrees outside. Sure, sure, yeah. sure. But we'll, we have enough friends in the business. Uh, sooner or later, you. yeah. So your know. system was newer, right? <laughs> no. This was very ancient. I think it... Uh, it was right after Moses, I think. <laughs> we parted the Red Sea, and, yeah. and then Danny got air conditioning. And then I got air conditioning, yeah. yeah. But it's been, it's been trucking along all those years, and it yeah. finally gave up the ghost. Well, and, and we need to tell people that sometimes it is time. You know, the one oh, that yeah. we're looking at yeah. is a, a 20-year-old unit, and it's still working, but it might be time to consider upgrading. Yours was older than that, and no. it is definitely time. Are the newer ones that you know of, are they more efficient? Absolutely. They yeah, are, and sure. I, I, I've taught the stuff on SEER ratings and energy efficiency ratings, and I just don't have good numbers in my brain right now, so I don't want to completely mess it up by saying it out loud. I'm not tracking them right in my head. But, yes, absolutely, the seasonal energy efficiency rating, the SEER rating for all of these devices is critical and and of course, now we set minimums in codes to make these systems more efficient than they've ever been by mandate. For those, uh, Barry, we do this from time to time when you're filling in for Andy, uh, for those newer listeners who thought, who is this guy? He knows his stuff, but who is he? How long is it? How long have you been in the business? Now? 1972, I started. 72. I was making $1.75 an hour schlepping lumber around for my grandpa. And he taught me the business and did a little college stint for a speech communications major and stayed working in construction in Kansas there and then moved back home and took over the business as he began to phase out Uh and retire and then decided to have my own name and go on my own and then moved from framing carpentry to finished carpentry and then remodeling. And uh, then I began to teach construction classes for a company here that did education for realtors, contractors, appraisers. They got bought out by another company, and about five, four and a half, five years ago, I left them, and I teach for a company called uh, Professional Education Resources, so Pro-Ed Resources, and uh, I love doing that. Do it for the contractor season in January, February, March for a day a week and uh, make that part of my opportunity as well. So, Well, as far as the construction business, I've never asked you this, Barry. What, what was your favorite? I mean, you, do you like the carpentry end of it? I really do. Two things that were fun. To take a pile of lumber you know, those gorgeous 55 to 60 degree days, spring morning, you have this pile of lumber and you're outside turning a pile of sticks into walls so that people can have a home to live in and a shelter. There's something almost magical yeah. about that. And a lot of the guys who've gone in the business I've had in class, we've talked about the idea of what we got in for versus what life is really like right now because there's so much regulation, paperwork. It's really not the same thing. To be a carpenter is one thing. To be a business owner, something completely different. And those are some of the challenges guys are facing. I love that part of it. And then moved into trim carpentry and then to take wood and make it look like it grew in that shape or grew in that place. There's something spectacular about working with your hands and being able to create something really beautiful. And I've had some wonderful teachers who've been very patient with me as I developed my craft. 
Are they are they around anymore? These artists? I mean, they're they're fewer. There, and there are right? there are. I was working with a gentleman from out of Poland on a set of stairs on one of our projects recently, and I said to him on Monday, I said, I will take you everywhere I go and have you do stairs for me for the rest <laughs> of my career because. And he's an older gentleman in his sixties, but his work and uh, I mean, he's I, we say in the business he's slow, and we'll wait. Ah, because the work is that good. It's that good. Yeah. You know, I know we have to break here, Barry. It's great to see you again. Before we do, Louise has been waiting there in New Hope on the phone. Thanks, Louise. What's your question for Barry? Yes, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I have a question about laminate floor in a bathroom. Uh, is that a problem, like, under the toilet? I have had three toilets on my laminate floor, and they all leak. Yeah, and the sandwich underneath the plastic laminate surface material, Pergo is probably the biggest brand name, obviously there's many, uh, that is prone to absorption of water on those surfaces. Some of the glue-ins could have prevent that, but the lock-in places, the snap-in places, will let water get into those seams. Now, they're all sealed to prevent that, but if you've got a slow drip from a leak from a toilet over time, I would never recommend putting laminate floors into that bathroom ever. Okay. I don't think it's a good idea. All right, there you go, Louise. Thanks for hanging on. We have a line open if you want to ask Barry by phone your uh, home improvement question, 651-989-9226. Or if it's easier, and we have a few of those, the text message 81807. Let's take this break. Be back on this Saturday in CCO Land. And good morning. Welcome back to our home improvement show presented uh, by uh, Linda's Construction every Saturday in the 9 o'clock hour. Andy's taking the day off today. Our friend uh, Barry Strands is back with us filling in for Andy. So if you do have any kind of a home improvement question, by all means, here's the guy you want to chat with or send a text to Barry, 81807. You know, Barry, as, as uh, we, we opened the show, well, actually, you opened the show. That was fun, too, by the way. I'm <laughs> we'll not sure I would again. do it. Well, maybe. We'll see. Well, I'm on. See. I'm back in July. Oh, good. Yeah. Well, that's good to know. Um, we're talking about air conditioning for obvious reasons uh, because of our uh, weather. And I wanted to read this text to you. Maybe we can help this person out. Sure. Uh, if I can find it again. All right, here it is. We are replacing our AC this fall. We have hot water baseboard heat and already have the venting in place in the attic. So what system would be best? Is it splits or the new central air in the attic? You were kind of touching Well, I think a split system is a better option. I think it gets Explain the, what that is, the cooling you uh, where you want it. It gives us an option of basically doing a cooling uh, wall panel and puts the condenser and coil in different locations so that we actually have the airflow right there at the wall. Hmm. And it's an, an option that came out oh, maybe 25 years ago. I'm not an HVAC guy, but uh, it's given us some tremendous variety in our, in our methodology. And they're much smaller as units, and I, I like them. I think that they're a terrific opportunity for people. All right, good. Yeah. yeah. That somebody else uh, sent a, uh, a text. That's interesting. Can you comment on the split air systems for a 100-year-old home? Well, again, you got the problem with splits are trying to find the location everybody's satisfied with because they're going to take a wall location, and then we've got to run um, our piping, essentially, to another location, and we have to find a place that everyone's happy about that. So we come in. I normally – I don't want to present myself as an HVAC expert because I'm not, but when we work with those guys, we just have some, have some fun conversation with homeowners saying, we can do this, here's what it's going to look like, and here's where things need to go, and people don't want to see piping on the exterior wall yeah. surfaces. So sometimes we have to create soffits or boxes inside the house walls to run our piping to where we have to get it to, typically in the lower level. 
And the, but they, they give us real efficiency, which is the real goal that we're after. Absolutely. Um, one of the things I wanted to comment on was the need for people to make sure they look at filters because we're doing one new construction, older house, but we're remodeling it. And I brought a bunch of um, filters to the house and I had one in for about a week, maybe seven days of working construction, so maybe seven days old. And I didn't replace it fast enough. And because I've got painters spraying, I've got a lot of micro product in the air mm. and being picked up by the return air. And even though we've filtered over those surfaces, grabbed on, and it clogged the filters so much that Whoa. I didn't get enough airflow. And so I came down and looked at this unit on Thursday this week, and I've got ice on the wall, the box of my A-coil in my furnace room. And I'm surprised by this. Call my HVAC expert and say, he says, well, you probably froze the thing up. You know, it's like, well, I just changed the filter is what I said. And he, <laughs> he came out. Yeah, Barry, shut the system down, melted it all out. And then looked at the filter and because we were painting in there we had far more debris on that than i wow. anticipated and he said you're gonna have to change these every three days barry you're just going to do that and it's rare oh. that a homeowner will need to do that obviously they're not putting right uh, that kind of material into the air but most people think of changing filters only in the winter season they don't think of changing filters in the summertime so it's just an important thing to keep in mind if you go down to the basement now and find alongside your ductwork that there's some frost developing that's a, typically that's an issue where you've got airflow that's lacking because your filter's clogged it's cheap maintenance when you very think cheap about it. and yeah. you just have to do it all year round yep absolutely good point uh, let's go back to the phones Barry Pat is calling from little Canada Pat you're on CCO good morning hi thanks for taking my call see uh, you're talking about an air exchanger um, I had I had one put in about 15 years ago because my house is really wet, and ever since I put it in, it works great. Yep. Except I heard you say that in the summertime you should have it on. At the time that I had mine put in, they told me that it don't make sense to be pulling in a hot, humid air into your air conditioning. Yeah, uh, no. Do you have a comment on that? Or? Yeah, I, I don't know wh- where I would have said that because that's not my position either. I don't think that an air exchange system should be run in the summer months for exactly the reason that you're talking about. Now, we have energy recovery ventilation systems that are designed to take humidity out of the air and solve that problem. But an HRV, heat recovery ventilation system, I I don't recommend running that in the summer months. So ventilation is important always, of course, and we're under a code mandate to ventilate. But when we bring that kind of humidity into the home, we've got to take it out somehow, and that creates a problem. Uh, You're right on, Pat. Thanks, Pat. For the call and for hanging on. Uh, Jerry is calling from St. Paul. Let's see if we can't get Jerry's call off here. Go ahead, Jerry. Yeah, hi, Danny and Barry. Uh, Barry, I built a a retaining wall here a few years ago, a Versalock, and the instructions clearly told me to tamp the ground before I put the rock down. Now, I'm going to have a uh, sidewalk put in. Now, shouldn't the mason or the contractor, shouldn't they be tamping the ground before they put the sand down, before they put the cement on top of it? Well, the question is always about what the uh, conditions of the existing grade are, Jerry. When we look at compaction, it's about how much soil we're actually talking about. When we've got soil that's on a site that we excavate to a given area, we presume that after five years that soil is compacted. So if it's sitting there, we excavate a small area to put rock or a base down. Normally what 
contractors will do is use a hand tamper, an 8x8, or just simply tamp it manually. They don't use a jumping jack. They don't use something that's um, a manufactured device until we get into depths that are over 15 to 18 inches. And as a result, then we would tamp and compact. It's all about what you're doing for the sub-base and how deep it is. Oh, okay. Thank you, Jerry. I'll tell you what, I know we have to break here, but Darlene and Dassel has been waiting to ask Barry a question. Thanks, Darlene. What is your question? Yeah. Um, the, the lady just called in and asked about um, her toilet. Now, we have hardwood flooring in our bathroom. Yep. And I see a little seepage there. What, what does that mean? Well, generally, it means that the wax bowl ring between the toilet and the actual plumbing plastic piping has uh, not can maintain seal. Over time, as that toilet is not fastened correctly, it gets movement. They're settling in the house. All of those are factors. Typically, what we do as a service call is have the plumber come out. They pop the toilet off. They put a deeper, thicker wax bowl ring on, put it all back down. But normally, the plumber won't do any of the management of maintenance of the floor or any of the repair. That would be done by a hardwood floor company. So if a homeowner chose to do that, there's videos online that you can watch. The process of taking a toilet off is not particularly complicated, but they're heavier units. You need to be aware of what the risks are. If you tighten the bolts too much, you can snap the flange. Uh, and I know people who have done that, so you have to actually pay attention to those details. But it's not a particularly difficult thing to do. And now wax bowl rings, they actually make super thick wax bowl rings when floor heights are different than the plumbing height. And there's actually extending pipe kits for the plumbing plastic. So those can be lifted up to get things in the proper location in proximity so that the wax bowl ring does, does its job. But it's very common over time for that seal to, to fail. All right, Darlene, thank you very much. Barry, we have to take a break. Just a reminder, we have another half hour of the show to go. So if you have any kind of home improvement question, call it in or text it in, 651-989-9226. The text number is 81807. We'll pick up on your text messages when we return here on a Saturday in CCO land. And welcome back to our home improvement show. We have uh, Barry in for Andy today. It's always fun when Barry shows up uh, to uh, help you out, either by phone or by text. And again, there's a line open if you want to call in your home improvement question for Barry, 651 651- Nine eight nine nine two two six or text eight one eight zero seven. Are you going to say something? No, I was oh, just clearing my throat. Oh, I was okay. just looking at you, going. It's always fun when Barry comes in. That's because my jokes are better. I think. I think you're right. <laughs> uh, let's see. We'll, we'll we'll get the spotlight on. You in oh, just great, a sure. But in the meantime, uh, here's a text, Barry, that says, can, "Can you put a deck over the exhaust of a high efficiency furnace exhaust?" If not, how far do you have to be from the deck or where do you find info for this? Oh, that is a building code question that's not coming to my brain right now, but I know that there's an answer. I just don't have it in my – I have to look it up. Um, The question, of course, is the distance between deck and the access. We actually have to have a working area around those exhaust pipes in case there's maintenance that needs to be done. Mm -hmm. But I just don't have it in my brain. I wish I did. Uh, from the side of the deck, you'd be three feet, I think, would be fine. And I just don't know for sure if we can be, how much closer we can be. I need to just double check my notes. Well, I'll tell you what, this will be your homework assignment. Yeah. Because you're going to be back with I'll us. I'll be back uh, next month. Yeah, let's, uh, let's talk yep, about it. Absolutely. All right. So, uh, listener, you can uh, keep tuned. Stay well, tuned. I, it's, it's like there's stuff that you know, and then there's stuff that you've taught, and then there's stuff that you remember. <laughs> That's not in. Oh. It's like, oh, I can look it up. But, but there's so much like when you're teaching classes. 
I mean, there has to be, and you're probably always learning. Well, it's over 200 pages in the code book just on wall construction. <laughs> just on wall construction. Just on wall construction. My goodness. Yeah, so it, there's a lot there. Yeah. Okay. Do you have any ideas, Texter says, for covering exposed two-inch foam board insulation? Thanks. Josh. Well, I wish I knew where they were putting yeah. it. So yeah. let's presume that it's on the inside of a basement wall, which is the most common spot. And remember that you have foam plastic as a category of material that must be covered against either flame or smoke development for building mm. code requirements. In a crawl space, you could throw an inch and a half of fiberglass over it and call it good. But in a basement space, you need actually a thermal barrier like a 20-minute fire-rated product, half-inch plywood or half-inch drywall would both be effective over those materials, but code requires it. Except for in the rim joist area, which would be the space between the foundation wall and the area where the floor joists actually are located. Code does not require those materials to have the same flame spread smoke development requirements. We can actually put spray-applied foam in those places and not cover them. So there are particular nuances. Now, on the exterior, you've got to protect against ultraviolet degradation and physical abuse to six inches below the finished grade. So if it's on the outside that we're talking about, I recommend grade metal, which is a powder-coated metal material of your color choice that goes over that, protects it against your weed whip and your lawnmower tire and all of those things. So if it's what it's on the outside, I cover with metal. When it's on the inside, drywall's the least expensive option. Well, that's you covered it because we didn't know. We didn't exactly know the, all the, 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 the see. That details. was a question I knew the answer to, though. So you should always <laughs> only ask me questions it's I know not, the answer to. It's not. It's not like they but, do in, in court. Well, here's yeah. the truth: you get only get smarter when you get asked something you don't know. There you go. I right? like that because that's, that's the only way you learn. Yep. All right. Let's see. Let's do another one here. Uh, then we'll go back to the phones. Uh, my home is on a slab, and my garage floor gets pretty wet. Is there anything I can put on the floor to prevent it from getting wet? No. That's a great question, and it's a wonderful teaching point. The problem is that that concrete is being informed by the temperature of the soil beneath it. What could have been done before we put the concrete slab down was that we put insulation beneath the slab. What kind of insulation would Two you Two inches use? Of, of foam. No kidding. Sheet foam. And having done that, that, you'd still have an issue with these kind of humidity conditions. And now you have to dehumidify the space. It's all about how much moisture is in the air and how cold the surface is. Everybody in Minnesota has seen water vapor condensing like on a bathroom window. You've taken a shower. You look at your window and go, holy crap, look at all the water draining on that surface. That's all about humidity and temperature. Well, the garage floor is the exact same thing. It's like taking your lemonade glass with ice inside and you're you know, sitting out on your deck and it's 82 degrees outside and you're looking at this puddle forming uh, around That's this right. glass. You think, well, is my cup leaking? No, this is condensation on the wall of the glass surface on the exterior. That's exactly what's happening on this concrete floor in the, in the garage. So foam. Foam underneath, right. Yeah. But there's, you can't topically do anything no. there that will change temperatures. And if you can't change the temperature, you have to lower the humidity or the phenomenon will continue to occur. What do you think about, uh, we're talking roofing here, using a roof rake to remove snow? There's no roof manufacturer that recommends using a roof rake on the roof because it damages the roofing material. So I'm not saying we don't do it, and I'm not saying we shouldn't necessarily do it. But don't use one with an aluminum handle, for goodness sakes, because people can get shocked doing that. 
uh, hit a wire accidentally and now you're in real trouble. So stay away from using anything with an aluminum handle. But we, just no manufacturer recommends that. And I, I haven't looked, but I'll bet there's someone out there who's come up with a metal uh, face that's got some type of a Teflon uh, protecting bar oh, I bet. that's available. I would look for one of those. But manufacturers don't recommend rubbing their roofing material with anything. It'll scrape. It'll scrape. Yeah. Pat Minnetonka is on the phone with a question. Go ahead, Pat. Hello, hello. First of all, Barry, um, I, you were an instructor in 72 and I took your classes and you were just wonderful, marvelous. I can only imagine how good you are now. Well, thanks for saying so and the check will be in the mail soon. Oh, thank you. <laughs> uh, my, question, my question is I have um, a laminate wood floor uh, and this was laid about four years ago. Um, I bought an uh, area rug. And it was recommended that I put a mat underneath the area rug. And the mat they recommended was a kind of a foamy type of yep. a mat. And uh, however, I removed the rug, and now I've got the imprint of the mat on my floor. That shadow yep. look, and there's no way I can. I, I, I tried everything to remove it, and it just doesn't budge. Yeah, there's two things that might be going on there. Normally, plastic laminate surfaces don't have a lot of issues with ultraviolet lights, so that would have been typically over the carpeted area too. And if this has been a chemical burn-in, there's nothing that can be done. And that's what I'm guessing, that the chemical in that pad burned in on the surface. And we see that periodically, and I hate it when people give bad advice, especially when it costs people money to repair. Yeah, I hear it all the time, unfortunately. That you do. Thank you, Pat. I'm sorry. Thanks. Thanks for the comment. Now, Pat was obviously had taken the course. Pat could have been what? Contractor, realtor? Appraiser could have been. Appraiser, Mm -hmm. possibly. Okay. All right. Uh, You can call us or text us. 651-989-9226. Text is 81807. I don't know. Can Barry uh, talk about the pros and cons of tankless water heaters? Sure. Uh, I've never... Well, tankless water heaters are a system that Europeans have used, you know, for decades. It's not new at all. And they typically supply water heat on demand. Now, they think we're crazy to put water in a tank in typically our basement and keep it hot when we don't actually know when we're going to need it next. So tankless systems are designed to create a pull or call for heat as soon as we open up the tap at our device. Okay, we have our faucet. We turn on the hot water. This creates a call immediately, either gas or electric resistance kicks on, and we begin to warm up the water coming through. So there's a little delay before the water gets warm. It could be 30 seconds, 40 seconds, and then we've got water. The problem with whole house versions of this is What's the demand? I looked into these systems myself because the, the efficiency continues to get better and better and better. You need mostly our electric today, and you're going to need more power for your panel to drive them. But there's tremendous opportunity for efficiencies because you're not keeping a tank filled with water warm in a space. But if you have, like I do, 11 children, and you start looking at laundry and you start looking at the need in the home for just moving water through for showers and things, there just wasn't a system at that time that would have supplied our demand. So the challenge is they can't meet the demand that you would see in some cases. But it's not uncommon to find on-demands now for higher-end houses just to supply the master shower. 
Oh, we, we can Well, because you can get quick water. You don't have to wait. You'll wait 30 seconds and the water's hot right there and you're only calling for it, especially in a very, very large house. You have a 10 or 12,000 square foot home. You don't want to have to drive from one water heater location, water from a long way away. It could be 150 feet of piping that you're moving water through. So if you put a system in place that it's right in a pocket, if you will, in an adjacent room, your water is going to be right there right away. And it's just going to you know, cost more money. I mean, we were in houses with four furnaces, for goodness sakes. Oh. So you're looking at those, even having split zones on each one of those. You're controlling eight different zones in a house so that you can make the master suite its own temperature, its own humidity control, and do that throughout the house with these, you know, much larger homes. And I live in a, a, the cheap seats in northeast Minneapolis, so that's not my reality, but, you know, I work there. It's fun to go see what people do and then see I if I can it do it cheaply at my own home. You get the chance to see all this. Danny, the best part about my job is I get to first dibs on what's in the dumpster. That's the best part <laughs> about my job. Because you'd be amazed at what people throw away. Oh, yes. I've got granite countertops in my house because they were thrown out. Yeah. I've got a refrigerator that I paid $500 for that was $8,000 new. I've got a double wall oven that was free being tossed in the dumpster. It's just amazing because people upgrade appliances maybe every 12 years, sometimes maybe every eight years. And they're not bad shape, the ones that they're getting rid of. People want to go shopping with you when you, uh, when well, you go next time. I, yeah, I've got stories about that, too. I will dicker with people and say, what's the best deal of the day? All right. Uh, you know what we have to do? We have to take a quick break here, Barry, but we'll uh, have more show to come. We have texters. If you want to call in your home improvement question, by all means, 651-989-9226. Text number 81807. We'll grab some more of those when we come back, too. Hey, good morning. Welcome back to our Home Improvement Show presented every week, every Saturday in the 9 o'clock hour by our friends at Lindus Construction, L-I-N-D-U-S. You can always get in touch with those folks at 1-800-LEAFGUARD. Filling in for Andy today is our friend Barry Strands. And, uh, Barry, you said you're going to be back in... July, July 21st. Tomorrow's July Thursday. already. I know. I know. Don't even make me think about that. So, it's, yeah. I <laughs> Things know. are backing I know. up. Oh, I know. man. Oh, yeah. man. I've got deadlines on my in my real life right now. And... They're coming up. So, well, some folks are loving the work you do here, and uh, they want you here a lot. Well, I, I I love that. Thanks. I appreciate that positive feedback. All right, let's see. Let's uh, put you back to work here before we run out of time. Uh, Tim is calling from, I believe, Spring Lake Park. Tim, you're on CCO with Barry. Yeah, hi. I'm getting a egress window put in my house. Sure. And how how would I? Who do I contact to make it a three bedroom house instead of a two bedroom? Nobody. Um, there's no contact that you would need to do in terms of how that is set up. When you put an egress window into a space, you meet the other code requirements, you simply can designate that as a bedroom. And when you move to time of sale, you can simply identify that as that space. Normally, the realtor who takes the listing will do that on your behalf anyway and just advertise oh. it that way. There's no official document that you go through. Uh, the challenge is that... Oh, boy, I don't know if I want to open this can of worms. <laughs> when we move into a set of building plans to submit to a city, the spaces are what we tell them. So if we call that a den, it's a den. We call it a bedroom, it's a bedroom. Now, they can be the exact same space, but if I designate it when I submit the plan, that's how that house is identified and known. Hmm. So sometimes there's a situation with septic systems. We don't want to have too many bedrooms because if there are too many bedrooms, the septic system must be designed to have a capacity to manage bedrooms. But if I want to have another bedroom instead of having a den, I can designate it so. And once it's designated, that's what it is. Now, it has to meet the code requirements for that space, which include egress. 
So egress can be a door to daylight or it can be a window. Most people think egress must be a window. No, it can be a door. But it can't be to the garage. It has to be to the exterior. It can't be to an adjacent room. And then there are specific size requirements if you use a window to qualify as an egress window. Then, of course, if you have a window well, there are specific data pieces for that as well to make sure that the well you exit into meets code requirements so that it can be considered a legal egress. And there's been a lot of technical issues over the years about whether or not it's a legal egress window if the exterior space is the wrong size. And most cities say, nope, it won't qualify if the exterior space doesn't meet code, even if the window meets code. So it's gotten really complicated, and I've spent hours in conversations with builders, with appraisers, with real estate agents, and building officials over the idea of what is code compliance in this regard But most people think that you have to have a closet for it to be a legal bedroom. That is simply not the case. The building code does not require – because they don't care where you put your clothes. Why not in a manoir? Why not in a chest of drawers? They don't care. But financing organizations like FHA, they require that to use their loan, you have to have a closet at least for a time. No longer. Now it has to be adjacent to a bedroom. It doesn't have to be within the bedroom any longer. Hmm. Boy. You ever find some of these code issues are not really common sense? Oh, yeah, again, most codes are reactions to problems, even minor problems. And a lot of codes that get lifted begin to realize that doesn't make any sense. We're not fixing anything. There was nothing broken in the first place. And so code cycles are every three years. They continue to get modified. Minnesota has been on a six-year adoption cycle, so we skip every other code. Oh, here's the problem here. When my toilet texter says, when my toilet gets plugged... There is leaking in the ceiling below. Any thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> Don't do that. Um, well, something's wrong. That you call a plumber. Uh, that typically would indicate either a broken seal or we've got a crack in the pipe. But there should never be leaking in the ceiling below a toilet ever, ever, mm, ever, no. ever, ever, ever. No, no, no. Never. That's All bad. right. That's bad. Here's another one. My sidewalk is sinking. What now? <laughs> what are my options? Well, it depends on how badly it's sunk. Sometimes people will simply pour a new sidewalk over it if it's sunk that badly. But normally what we do, depending on where it's located, is break it up, put a new gravel bed underneath, and re-pour the sidewalk. If it looks like too expensive a project, some try to do what's called mud jacking, which is a pressure injection of a concrete slurry or a sand mix slurry underneath that space to lift it up. We drill holes through the space, and we inject um, hydraulic lines, turn the machine on, and pump, 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 and we lift that damaged concrete or or sunken concrete. We can do that with basement floors and garage floors. Sidewalks, generally, while they can be done, um, a lot of residential look at the issues and think it might be smarter to break this up and start over again, especially older houses around the foundation perimeter because there's more going on there, and we want to make sure we also water control the foundation. And if we break the concrete up, we can do that as well. All right. Uh, let's see if we can't grab uh, some more text before you leave, Barry. Uh, right. ne- need to repair or replace a 12-year-old fiberglass shower stall. What would you recommend? I'm concerned about mold growth on and durability of the grout if we replace with tile. Shower is used daily. 
Well, there's no question that we risk having an issue with mold growth on any surface, and I don't think that it's particularly problematic to tile. But if people's experience historically was issues with with that, you have to understand it's a water vapor problem. We are not exhausting enough moisture from the bathroom space. So that's about having a bath fan that does its job and homeowners who understand how to use the bath fan correctly. So I tell people that I have no problem with tile. I like it. I think it's an elegant material. And today you can get very inexpensive, good-looking tiles from our big box stores. So I would suggest people look at that. But the bath fan gets overlooked. And there are very quiet fans that can be controlled by a humidistat. Now, a humidistat is a switch that turns on or off based on humidity levels. So all it is is a switch that works for you without you having to do anything. So it says, oh, once we get to this level of humidity, the fan turns itself on and the fan will run until we drop below that level of humidity, exhausting the moisture that caused the condensation, which fed the mold growth. And while it won't guarantee no mold, it is the solution to the kind of mold that became problematic. Now, if we seal our grout and then uh, spend some time every 10 days looking to see if we're having any buildup of mold surface on the, and then do a cleaning then I find myself happy to, to have tile surfaces. I love them. I've got stone in my house because I can negotiate on, on stone. I bet you can. Oh, yeah. Well, it's like, right. I'll take that. I can use that. Well, Barry, we'll be back. He promises you'll be back here in a two, two three weeks or so. Yeah, right? I love doing like this. I have so much fun. Thanks for your support, Dan. And happy 4th of July to, to you, you too. Great uh, family celebrate this amazing country we're so blessed you to be living in. It. Thanks again, Barry. And by the way, I mentioned it earlier, if you want to get in touch with our good friends at Linda's Construction, whether you're thinking about windows or roofing or remodeling, whatever the case may be, uh, 1-800-LEAFGUARD. And by the way, I didn't spell it L-I-N-D-U-S.